Welcome back. Welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast. I am Ryan Young, your host and the publisher of Trojansports.com. It is officially week one of the college football season now. Of course, USC played on week zero, as they call it, last week. It is week one, and it is week one of the podcast, back for the season on a weekly basis. Didn't have one last week, wanted to, but a bunch of scheduling conflicts with all of our uh, preferred and usual guest stars. And, you know, not, not much to preview in terms of the matchup with San Jose State, but plenty to break down from it, from USC's 56-28 win over the Spartans. We will talk Caleb being Caleb at quarterback, Zachariah Branch becoming a star in his first game. Yes, a star. Quote me on that, which is not really a bold claim at this point, but I would have said the same thing weeks ago, weeks ago. And, of course, plenty of consternation about the defense. Lots of moaning and groaning about Alex Grinch and his unit. We will address all of that with my familiar running mate on this show, entering our fifth USC football season together. Fifth, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback and our Trojansports.com analyst. Always does a great job breaking things down, giving both the perspective of a former player a former player in this program, and now a college football analyst. So the best of all worlds in terms of uh, the topics that we cover. USC, of course, is back on in the Coliseum on Saturday, hosting Nevada, which will be another what I like to call NFL preseason game, where expect Trojans to play a bunch of players again, to ro- rotate a bunch, to continue to evaluate a number of spots. It's kind of a convenient ease into the season for a team that does still have some questions at a number of positions. Some are good questions where it's just a lot of depth and talent, and some are question questions like the offensive line. Hope you're on the site, trojansports.com. We had a great promo that ran last week and unfortunately ended. We had a lot of signups from that. Always great to have new people join the site, see what we're doing. We have some great stuff planned for this weekend in advance of the game. And we have our season-long running Guess the Score contest, which is always a lot of fun and has some pretty spot-on picks from the first game. So if you want to know more about that and the prizes and what's at stake, get on our Trojan Talk board at trojansports.com. We'll give you plenty of reasons to want to stay if you uh, check us out, if you haven't already. And yeah, that's about all the news and notes at the top of the show. Let's just get right into it. Let's get to the good stuff. All right, let's get it going for the first time this season. But for the fifth straight season, we welcome in Max Brown, the former USC quarterback and our long-running Trojansports.com analyst. Max, great to have you back for another year. What's up, Ryan? Yeah, thanks for having me. Dang, five uh, five years. Time be flying, and uh, it's been a minute since I've been... Uh, under center for the Trojans. Time does fly. It's the one thing it does. And uh, it's flown since our last podcast. I think we connected a few months ago, but uh, this is our first one of the season. We did not do one last week. I think you were traveling and there was a lot going on and there wasn't a game to break down and there wasn't much to preview in terms of San Jose State. So we just kind of pushed it off to this week, but we do have plenty to talk about today. Talking about the Trojans' 56-28 win last weekend over the Spartans, looking ahead to the Nevada game. Maybe not quite so much. But uh, we'll cover all the main talking points from the week. I'll get into, uh, obviously, the Zachariah Branch show, another Caleb being Caleb performance, 
and all that. Talk about the defense. Walking away from that game last week, Max, what were your general takeaways? What just kind of stuck with you the most from that season opening win? Yeah, like literally going to bed Saturday night, my first takeaway was I feel like I didn't learn a lot about this team yeah. um, for a week for a week one matchup. Um, I think in years past, you have had some some big takeaways and it's, oh, wow, I had no idea about this or about that. Um, and I think those that are that have been following the program and people probably listen to this, Zachariah Branch was awesome to see, but not a total surprise just based off the, the headlines of, of, of the offseason. Obviously, absolute stud, I think. I mean, I'm coming out with a, bre- a breakdown of, uh, of some of his catches tomorrow on my social media, and I think Lincoln Riley is going to have an absolute blast working with that. But I think big picture, some of the same questions remain defensively. I think it is telling how confident Lincoln Riley was Monday night in our Trojans Live uh, radio show about where that group is at just moving forward. It sounded like a lot of those errors were were mental mistakes and, and, and things that are that are correctable, and it was a different energy than last year, which people might hear me say that and kind of roll their eyes, but I do think one thing that you can guarantee with Lincoln Riley is he's, he's pretty pretty authentic and pretty genuine with those interviews where I don't think he's just blowing smoke at us. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, I think that, that, that gut feeling of walking away feeling good about his defense is, is genuine, but I think this defense needs to be better than just good to reach the levels that are obviously the expectations for this team. And then the other just high-level point for me was – I mean, man, so many position groups still remain up in the air in some capacity. I mean, I felt the depth, which I expected to, but man, I really felt the depth of this roster, which I was thinking back. I mean, it feels like this is as deep of a USC roster. I mean, even since before I was at USC, obviously there was a run there of seven or eight years where the roster was impacted heavily by sanctions in recent memory. But man, there's, there's depth across the board. I think it's great to have depth. You also want star power, and you also want guys to take those starting positions. But, I mean, receiver, running back, offensive line, um, obviously linebacker, very interesting to see how that position shakes out. Even the cornerback spot, I just I felt that depth, and I think that's a phenomenal sign for a schedule this year that's extremely backloaded in uh, end of October and November. That's going gonna, gonna to serve USD well. It's notable for you to say that, one of the deepest rosters in a long time, given that they've only had yep. really two off-seasons to turn this thing over, basically from scratch, after running off a large chunk of what they inherited and pretty much starting over uh, to do that in two off-seasons at this point is impressive, but also just the start. Um, I'll, I'll never forget Lincoln Riley saying last December, in the lead-up to the Cotton Bowl, just coming out and bluntly saying, I'll be disappointed if this isn't the least talented team we ever have. Um, Talking about an 11-win team there, and and sure enough, there's no question that this team is more talented, deeper and more talented across the board. Um, You know, obviously certain spots, there's there's not a a one-for-one replacement for Tuli Tui Pelotu. There may not be a Jordan Addison, but there is more depth at both those spots, more depth everywhere, and USC utilized that depth in the season opener, and we'll do so again this week. I kind of likened it to an NFL preseason game where it was just about let's get tape on as many guys as possible. Let's evaluate different offensive line combinations so we can go back and look at it and actually have game film instead of you know the practice film we've been looking at for since the spring and, and through August. Uh, they played 13 offensive linemen. Obviously, a few of those were, were late in the game and it won't be factors this season. But they played everybody who was, has any chance to make an impact. And because of that, I just really – caution everyone's and it's not you know 
go full off the ledge in panic mode about anything uh, based on one game. And as I say that, we're going to start with, with the defense. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here, the peril of, of inciting a riot uh, among our listeners. But everyone, everyone is just uh, – the reactions to the defense are just so over the top. And I get that this is 90% about the frustration from last season and a what seems to be a lack of confidence across the board among fans for Alex Grinch. And it wasn't going to take much to, to provoke that in this first game. But let's just go over some numbers here, and then we'll get more deeper into it. Okay, so yes, they gave up 396 yards. But entering the third quarter, or entering the fourth quarter, up three touchdowns. So the game's pretty much in hand into the fourth quarter. They had allowed only 94 rushing yards and 161 passing yards. It's fairly respectable. More than half of the state's rushing yards came in the fourth quarter, 104, and 36 on the last play. So if you're, if you're someone that's just consumed by the numbers, look at those numbers, and that's not all that bad. There were two very costly breakdowns that greatly tinged the way people might look at the performance. There was the third and 22 where... Uh, Grinch got a lot of criticism for being too aggressive in that situation, and Shevin Cordero rushed for the scramble for the first down. Uh, on that play, they've acknowledged that, that Bear Alexander had a mental lapse there. He just totally vacates his spot kind of on the right side and rushes around the left side of the line to try and chase down Cordero and just leaves this, this gaping hole that he, he took advantage of. Uh, that's a breakdown. Uh, the touchdown before the half... Down the sideline, excellent play by Nick Nash. Had a huge game for them. Damani Jackson, it seemed, was late getting over from where he was at, kind of on the seam to cover over the top there. Max Williams was chasing Nash down the sideline. I think they've acknowledged that, uh, Grinch acknowledged that, that maybe they asked Damani to do too much in that play, given the relative lack of game experience he's had. So a couple breakdowns tinge the whole thing. But overall, I you know, bear in mind that this is the first game with new pieces almost everywhere on defense, heavy rotation, and maybe a lot of players who won't be playing as many snaps when things settle down in a few weeks. So, you know, you cannot be impressed. You can say it looks like the same defense as last year. You can say that Grinch is Grinch. But here again, here again, and, and don't mistake me, I'm neutral. I'm neutral on Grinch. I'm not trying to sell you on Alex Grinch. I'm just saying I'm not going to panic about that game given those circumstances, given that it wasn't all bad. Max? I'm with you. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not uh, not sounding the panic alarm. But I, I will say it'll be, uh, I guess, the first thing that sticks out is no turnovers in this game, which yeah. obviously that's that's what the defense hung its hat on a year ago. And I think if you have turnovers in that game, maybe the overall momentum and energy defensively is just entirely different, which it's funny hearing me say that because last year I felt like the turnovers, you know, covered up some of the inefficiencies in a good way for the team last year. But uh, maybe as a media member, you at times, obviously at the end of the year, it was, it was bad for USC defense, but at times it kind of covered up some of the, things that were uh that were lacking there but yeah i think it'll be just fascinating to to see as the weeks go on you mentioned the preseason lineup i think there's or the preseason feel i think there's a lot of truth to that and i i think if if usc had a different schedule uh, lincoln Riley would be handling the depth chart especially defensively a lot different if usc had a major contest early on in the season I, I think this this rotation would get tightened quickly. I think if you don't have a, the 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 bye week after week three, 
when you're playing a Stanford team that's going to be the worst, one of the worst Stanford teams in recent memory. I think you, you just approach that situation different. And from a depth chart perspective, it's going to be on Alex Grinch. This is why you get paid the big bucks. How do you condense down that defensive roster and the balance between, all right, rotation and keeping guys fresh? And when you are rotating so much and you have a lot in that defensive playbook, you, you're going to have, you're going to run the risk of having, uh, guys mix up concepts and Damani Jackson maybe not getting to where he needed to late in that second half. And I think in week one, you kind of toss it up to just, oh, week one mistake. Damani Jackson hasn't played a lot, but Damani Jackson's not a scrub. And so we can't be saying that two weeks from now. And that to me is the biggest task for Grinch is that balance between, yay, we have this depth. This is the depth we wanted. But then on the flip side, you, you might not be able to do the laundry list of, of defensive play calls that you're used to doing or the bunch of stunts and shifts and all that. And it's USC. Most, most of these teams that SC is going to play, I guess the offenses are loaded in the Pac-12. But a lot of these teams USC is going to play, personnel-wise, defensively is going to stack up just fine. And I don't think you need to be so creative and nuanced and whatnot. I think you can play a lot of these teams straight up especially when you're playing with an offense of your, your own offense, USC's, that's going to put up over 40 points a game consistently. So you don't need to be perfect defensively. I think that's going to be the big task for Grinch that might not come to a head here in the, in the coming weeks, but as we approach October, that's going to be, that's going to be front of mind for me. Yeah, before the season, I predicted that USC would have a top 50-ish defense based just on the talent upgrades, the depth upgrades. And I'm going to stick with that. I'm not changing that at all based on the first game. I know that both Riley and Gringe were very upbeat about the defense overall. Liked a lot of the things they saw. They both made a point to highlight Bear Alexander's impact and said that they didn't even fully appreciate it watching it live Saturday. But going back through the tape, they saw just how many times he was in the backfield and uh, how close he came on a number of plays from, from causing true havoc. I think the pass rush will be fine. I think Anthony Luke is going to have a big season, so on and so on. So let's just keep that evaluation open. I know that uh, asking patience from the fans on that side of the ball is maybe uh, not going to uh, be reciprocated. But uh, I'm going to show a little patience and see how it develops. I will say, though, it, it's, it got ugly quick on, on Twitter, on our message board in the game. Like, like there is just... No confidence in Grinch among the fans, at least the ones that speak out. You always have to qualify that. A lot of fans don't don't vent on Twitter or, or message boards, but we love the ones who do. And the ones who do, the, the first thing that went wrong Saturday, it was, oh, here we go again. Had they not fired Grinch in the offseason? Lincoln, yeah. Lincoln Riley can't build a defense, this, 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 this. So it's there's going to be no runway for him in terms of uh, that. But he's going to have to be someone who doesn't care what's being said on the outside and, and keep the focus because uh, there is a lot of talent there, and, and I think uh, I still think we'll see it come to fruition. The linebacker play is going to be especially key this year, and it was noticeable when Eric Gentry was on the field Saturday. When Gentry came in, I thought uh, he, he just had a consistent impact on every series he was in the game for. It was a handful of series. He didn't start, obviously. Uh, they're still kind of ramping him back up. Grinch even said that he played more snaps Saturday than they saw cumulatively over fall camp. So that gives you a sense for where he's at physically as he comes back from that ankle surgery in the offseason. But when he was out there, he was a difference maker. Uh, Tackett Curtis, you know, it was his debut, wasn't perfect. 
Mason Cobb, not a perfect debut. But I think eventually you're going to see uh, Gentry and Cobb as the main guys there with Curtis and Lee rotating in. Uh, anything from the linebacker play that stood out to you, Max? Yeah, I walked away with the same takeaway right there. It feels like things are tracking towards yeah Gentry and Cobb being the guys in the middle. But, man, and, and Ryan, you're close to it, uh, just as close as anyone. But it feels like, you know, walking out of camp in this offseason, you know, Taka Curtis, you, you know, they're, not, they're not just giving out starting positions. They're, yeah. they're not, uh, you know, Gentry was – the second best defensive player on our team last year, like to, to not have him start, like that's not, that's not insignificant. And, and I think Tiger Curtis obviously did things this off season to earn that, but you, you heard it in some of Lincoln's uh, comments this week. I mean, you, you have some of those true freshman mistakes where maybe you don't blitz on a certain play or you miss a gap or you miss a coverage. And the beauty of having depth on a roster is in years past. I know when I was at SC, like, maybe that guy continues to start week after week because you just don't have that guy behind him. But then now you got a guy like Eric Gentry that's, you know, pushing Tackett Curtis and maybe the roles reverse there. I, I just think that, that, uh, that linebacker spot will be, will be deep. Make sure to see what happens with, with Shane Lee long-term as well. Um, but, but love that spot. I think what also jumped out at me too is a lot of these guys, man, um, both Lincoln and um, coach Grinch showed that they're not afraid to, to not start starters or not start guys that had impact in the past. It's, it's, it's definitely a what have you done for me lately type of mindset, which which is unique. There's a lot of head coaches that, you know, dig in with the guys that are the the veteran presences that may have, like, earned their spot on the field, but maybe not as, as recently. I mean, you go down the list. I mean, I know Romello Height was injured a year ago, but he's a guy that started – Week one last year, instead this year, Solomon Bird's ahead of him. Corey Foreman, obviously his pass well-documented, very minimal minimal action for him. Uh, we mentioned the linebacker spots, obviously Shane Lee there. Christian Roland Wallace was on paper a, a pretty good transfer get out of the portal. Yeah. He doesn't start and doesn't get a lot of action there. Bryson Shaw limited there, and you just kind of – go down the list there's they're, they're not afraid and you can say some similar comments offensively they're not afraid to you know not play guys that i'm sure feel like they have they, they should be playing or have deserved play time and all that which to me is a good sign because i think it's going to keep this roster honest and when tack and curtis even if you are a true freshman walks away and maybe it's it's uh there's a few mistakes here or there like he's got to earn that and i'm sure we'll see more eric gentry this coming week, um, Curtis will obviously play, but I just think that is a healthy spot for that defense to be in, to have that uh, that competition just kind of front of mind at every position group. It's great points, and, and Lincoln Riley made this point to us several times uh, since the spring and fall camp, that his message to the team was that what it took to win a job last year may not be enough to win a job this year, and that nothing was going to be guaranteed, and uh, that's the Tony set for the program, and and as you uh, illuminated there, it, it held true. You know, Christian Roland Wallace is a great example. Comes over four year starter at Arizona, four year starter, and when he transferred here, I think everyone immediately just slapped the Makai Blackman label on him. Okay, okay, he's this year's Makai Blackman. Turns out he ends up not even staying at cornerback, get, getting moved to nickel. Although he's going to play all around the secondary, he gets beat out by Jalen Smith for the first team nickel job. So. No guarantees, nothing promised, and the the depth piece is huge. I know we've already referenced it several times, but a point that you know, Grinch was actually really interesting last year because he he was always there was, there was some coach speak, there was some uh, politically correct, not the right word, but you know 
trying to things positive, but he also couldn't hide his frustration. And it's just started showing through more and more as the weeks went on. A lot of it was about just things from practice not transferring over to games. And like we, we coach this all week and they go out there and, and, and do something different. But another part was, was the lack of depth. And he basically said, you'd love for practice to matter, where if a guy has a bad week of practice, they don't start. But when you have no one viably to replace them, then you really can't enforce that. He basically said that last year in so many words. Uh, this year, he's been pretty open about saying that the same thing, that we, we couldn't do this last year. We couldn't really make practice a meaningful competition every week where guys were competing for jobs because there wasn't enough guys. Uh, some jobs were just going to be set no matter what happens. Uh, and this year is different. So what, my point in all that and kind of the points you were making, I think we will see things change a lot over the course of the season. There will not be a, a status quo ever because they have so many guys. They have so many guys in the secondary, especially, that uh, someone's not going to be able to have a string of bad games or or too many missed assignments and keep their job. It's going to be on to the next guy. I think that's going to serve the defense well over time and certainly be interesting for us to monitor for sure. With Gentry, he pretty much said that you know every week we'll see him play more plays. It's clear he's on the pitch count. With Tackett Curtis, yeah, he's a true freshman. He's the first true freshman linebacker to start USC since Cam Smith in 2015, I think it was. So it doesn't happen very often, and it wasn't going to be perfect. But he's the future of that position, and he's the future for a reason, because he brings the full package they haven't had in a while in terms of he's got all the physicality you would want in that position. He's an he's a aggressive tackler. He loves to hit. He's got that part of it too, but he also has the elite athleticism and speed to cover, to get sideline to sideline, to not get lost in space. Uh, they, they've had elements of those qualities in different guys, but they, they haven't really had the guy who does it all. And that's what Tackett Curtis is. And they need more Tackett Curtis over time. I'll forever wonder about Rajon Davis and if he ever gets a chance and what he can yeah. show because I think he has a lot of those qualities too. And I'm beyond the point of understanding what's held him back at this point. Uh, but that's the topic for another day. But Tackett Curtis is that full package there. So he's going to play all year. Gentry will eventually, I'm sure, take over that starting job, play a full allotment of snaps. And we would assume Mason Cobb would, would play a uh, most of the game, but Tackett's going to get in there. Shane Lee is the wild card for me. I, I just, I don't, I don't want to say he's been passed by because he was hurt a lot of camp. So we don't really know yet how he fits in, but I don't know how he fits in. So that's going to be an interesting one to monitor. But the fact that you have four guys like that, that can all make a case for playing some of the position is a major difference from last year. So yeah, that's about all I have to say on the defense. I'm, I'm just going to keep evaluating week to week and, and taking in what we see. And they have the luxury of having this this slow ramp up uh, on the schedule where you have basically the, uh, you know, San Jose State's a decent group of five team. Nevada this week is not. That should be very lopsided. Stanford next is the worst team in the conference probably. Uh, if it's not Stanford, then it's Colorado, who we're going to see after the bye week. Arizona early on. So on and on, they have basically the first half of the season to get things right. And thus, how about we just take it all in and just not panic until at least game four, maybe? Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah, you get a little bye week in between there. Yeah, no, I'm uh, 
I'm with you. I'm also looking back. I'm trying to think any surprises for me defensively after week one. I I, I thought I was going to see more Jacoby Covington at the corner spot. Mm-hmm. I yep. think uh feels like we always pass by Max Williams. He, like We never really talk about him. At least I, yeah. I, I never really talk about him. But he's a dude that, I mean, you're, I know he was banged up uh, what, a couple years ago. Um, but, you know, right, right there in the thick of things playing. We mentioned the Christian Roland Wallace thing. I think in hindsight, it doesn't really surprise me that Corey Foreman is not, maybe not getting the run, but I think uh, it's obviously unfortunate given a lot of the conversations we've had a couple of years ago about where he could be, but it's obviously clear where he stands depth chart wise. As, as the as the season goes on, though, I, I feel like and, and, and depth gets tested, maybe he has a bigger role. And then I, I echo the, the Rajon Davis thing, and you've been, you followed it cl- more closely than me, just obviously to the re- recruiting circuit, but... Uh, for how big of a name he was a couple of years ago, it just feels like there's uh, not enough spots, not enough reps to get uh, a guy like him who's like that fifth interior linebacker spot. And he's no longer a young guy. He's up there in el- eligibility. So it's interesting to see if his role expands at all throughout the rest of the season. Let me expand on a couple of those guys, listen to you talk about it. I had some more thoughts. Let's do the Rajon Davis first. You know, yeah, this is a pivotal year. And we'll always look back on the 2020s. 2021 season and people question it in the moment why didn't he redshirt that year they played him you know just over that that four game cutoff almost all on special teams and blew his redshirt for really no reason and a lost uh four and eight season it was dante williams interim coach it was one of the major criticisms that many of us had at that time because now man don't you wish that that was a redshirt year for rajon davis and he wasn't entering his true junior season right now if he doesn't play much this year but plays just enough where he loses another year of eligibility he's got one year left after this without having really established himself if this is the way it plays out so pivotal year for him and maybe he'll, maybe he'll do the gary bryant thing <laughs> well, that's where i was going and for both Sorry. no 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 we're on the same page we're on the same page uh for both rajon and Corey foreman who i'll get to more in a minute with rajon though like Last year was a prime opportunity to, to give him some more run and, and evaluate and see what he could do. When those linebackers went down, when, when they were having to lean heavily on C.B. Nomura and, and, and go to a one-linebacker look and just adjust to the injuries, couldn't they have found like 15 snaps a game for Rajon just so that there was a fuller evaluation? Because when he did finally play in the Cotton Bowl, people were generally impressed. Most people thought, wow, this guy was a spark. He was a jolt. But I, I knew entering this season that it wasn't going to be there for him because they brought in these guys. They brought in Mason Cobb to be a full... They returned two starters and then brought in two guys that could be starters and were starters last week. And he's just kind of that extra guy, but he's more talented than being a fifth linebacker and extra guy. I, I was sold on him coming out of, out of modern day, coming out of high school. I thought this guy is a can't-miss. His athleticism at that position, his his just range his instincts just always popped off whenever i watched him play he was undersized coming in so he had he had the bulk up but he has it seemed like he there was a, a rougher learning curve for him with picking up the playbook uh when you ask the coaching staff what's different with him they talk about maturity so i don't know what all that meant in terms of the last two years but he got a ton of praise from brian Odom before the season for his his maturity and, and, his, and his comfort level in the defense but there's just only so many snaps to go there, and, and Shane Lee's not even healthy yet. 
So when Shane Lee's healthy and Gentry's playing a full load of snaps, I don't know where that opportunity comes in. And if he's just a special teams player again this year, I think we have to be on that Gary Bryant watch just because it's it's a tough decision to, to make for your future. To say, am I going to trust that next year's my year? I'm going to have one year left? With Corey Foreman, a little different case, uh, only because he missed like the second half of camp, uh, which, again, has been the major bugaboo for him. And all the positive commentary we got from coaches about Corey Foreman entering camp uh, was that, man, he's finally been able to stay healthy for a while and actually practice a bunch. Uh, Sean Nua was like, like super candid and blunt, saying last year I'm not sure if he could go X straight practices. He just couldn't do it. This year he can. He's been available. It's been the biggest thing. And then what happens, he's not available the second half of camp. We never got a specific on the injury. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter. It's been one thing after another. But that's why he only played, I think it was two snaps in the opener, two or four snaps. That said, even when he is fully healthy, where is that path to playing time? He's behind a lot of guys right now, and he's going to have to sustain practicing every day looking good, winning those competitions during the week to get his chances. But it's hard to project when there's just so many guys at those edge spots. I just don't know what happens. And here again, this is his third year. So you're going to go through a third year of being a limited role player and have one year of eligibility left. I'm not trying to force any narratives here. I'm just saying that we saw it happen last year with Gary Bryant make that decision saying, I'm not wasting a year of eligibility. I'll redshirt and I'll figure out my future. Again, I, I don't think either guy wants to leave. They, they both really feel a strong connection to being part of this program. So I'm not forcing that uh, storyline. I'm just saying a pivotal year for their futures. That's all. Especially with a guy like Corey Foreman with the, his expectations and whatnot, if, I'm sure uh, if you only had one season left, that feels like – Man, he snapped his fingers in a blink of an eye. His entire eligibility would be gone. So, it's, it's right wild. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's turn to the offense. Caleb Williams just, man, if that wasn't just a quintessential Caleb performance where you came off it and it wouldn't even rank among his like top handful of games he's had here. Yet, he 18 of 25, 278 yards, four touchdowns, and basically three quarters. And of those seven incompletions, there were only two passes that were even maybe his fault. Maybe. There was a, a, a rollout under pressure and a, a sideline shot to Marshawn Lloyd that was kind of at his ankles. It was incomplete. Uh, it was catchable, but you can blame that one on Caleb maybe. And then there was an incompletion down the, the middle to Deuce Robinson where they weren't on the same page. And if you watch Caleb's reaction after the play, he kind of had that expression like, come on, you're supposed to be where the, where the ball was. So I think he felt he probably threw a perfect ball there and it was just a miscommunication. The rest were drops and then uh, intentional throwaways. So he was almost perfect. And then there was yet another dose of magic from the Heisman winner. That 76-yard touchdown to Taj Washington on a dropped snap. I mean, I don't know how many quarterbacks in college football would just have the the poise of uh, in that moment to not panic at all to not say, okay, this is a broken play now. Let's just uh, you know make sure it's not a calamity. He never thought that. So he, he drops the snap. He explained that he had his hand had gotten hit the previous play and was just feeling a little funny. And, and when the, the snap got to him, it just his hand didn't close around it 
whatever. Anyway, so a drop snap. He then immediately runs into Austin Jones. So things are just going haywire from the start. Yet he picks the ball up. He has about less than two seconds to do something before the San Jose State defender is going to be in his face. He must have gotten a quick glance downfield. Throws off his back foot, 50 yards in the air, a dime to Taj Washington. Such a good pass that Taj was able to catch it and keep running and go all the way for the touchdown. I don't know where that ranks among Caleb's best plays from the last season plus, but it's probably in the top 10. Uh, so just another Caleb being Caleb performance. What, what did you notice or appreciate about his week one effort? Yeah, dude's a stud. That play was spectacular. I mean, Caleb being her face and then just like the flick of the wrist. And, oh, of course, it's a, it's a great ball. Like, it's it's just crazy. I think my, my takeaway is just, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. You you just take take for granted his his greatness. I mean, even just like breaking down the team and trying to find storylines and, and and takes on things, you just naturally like don't talk about Caleb because or don't think about Caleb. At least I don't because it's just another day at the office. It's just oh, of course he's playing that way. But no, I mean it's he's the best player in college football. He's the best player I've seen in college football in quite some time, and it's because of performances like that where. It's a great stat line. It's an efficient stat line. It's a turnover-free stat line. Um, yet, you know, he's awfully he, – he, I mean, it's just something we're, we're used to. I, I think looking ahead, it'll be interesting to see – I mean, okay, all these receivers are great and some of the tight end options are great. But when there isn't a maybe true number one receiver, which I guess we'll see how Zachariah Branch plays out over the course of the season, but I get the sense that it's not going to be a unit – like a, to the past two years where you had Drake London as the dude two years ago, you had Jordan Addison as the dude last year. This year, with it being a lot of faces there, just from a comfort perspective, from a, a lack, like can't have any mistakes, efficiency, that kind of thing, it'll be interesting to see how that receiver and his playmakers kind of shake out because, I mean, in the week one performance, it's impressive that, hey, Caleb's able to do this with – eight, nine, ten different dudes out there. But when you're playing a Utah defense or you're playing an Oregon State defense or something or an Oregon defense, something like that, that's where I'd have to think that Caleb's going to have to have his guys and the guys that he really feels comfortable with. And I'm just just curious to see how that shakes out. But dude's an absolute stud. Um, with all the crazy plays, his ability to just continue to protect the ball it's a fine line, right? Usually when you're getting the crazy plays and you're getting the spark plays, it comes with turnovers at times. We really have not seen that, which is uh, the most impressive factor for me with Caleb. If that if that stat line was from Jackson Dart or Keaton Slovis or JT Daniels or the uh, fan favorite Jack Sears, just going back, yeah. Matt Fink, that would be the story. We, oh my gosh, I was a near perfection performance, this, that, and the other. And with Caleb, it's just a quiet day at the office. And you mentioned the the lack of turnovers. When I talked to him in the preseason back at Pac-12 Media Day, and I, I said you didn't leave a whole lot of room for improvement from last year, at least from the outside perspective. What's the one thing you want to do better this year? And the first thing he said was less interceptions. He had five last year. Uh, yeah. which which you could do in, uh, in in a month by accident on tip passes and, and other fluky things. So just the fact that he thought that was too many was interesting. So not much more you can say about him, but, but, but there is. I will say this because I saw a headline yesterday. Don't want to misattribute it. Maybe ESPN, maybe Yahoo, not sure. 
but it was about how there's a quiet debate among NFL GMs between Caleb Williams and Drake May. If anyone has the opportunity to draft Caleb Williams and doesn't, this is going to be like the Michael Jordan, Sam Bowie (laughs) narrative for the next few decades. So, uh, let me help you out, NFL GMs. Don't overthink it. There's nothing to break down. There's nothing more to scrutinize. Your decision's made. If you're drafting the quarterback and you have that chance at number one, Caleb Williams is your guy. There should be no debate there. Is is, is your dude one little comment right there? I saw a headline yesterday of Caleb Williams is the perfect quarterback in empty formation, which is a very kind of niche comment to say, but I think it's so true. And I, I mean – his ability to throw like a second baseman shortstop mm-hmm. and with all these like little slot receivers that USC has coupled with the, with Lincoln's brain and just the creativity. And obviously Zachariah branch is, is, is as special as, as he was in week one. I just thought that comment was spot on. There's just his legs, his throwing style, but being that kind of middle infield to get the ball out quick coupled with the obviously downfield accuracy, the arm strength, the whole deal. But I thought, I thought fans might like that comment because I thought it was spot on and not something you're necessarily saying about not something you're saying about Drake May necessarily looking <laughs> uh, looking forward to the next uh, next level. Yep, that's all. Just I mean, leave it to the NFL uh, evaluators to overthink uh, such things. As I've seen many bad draft picks over the years, and a lot of it probably comes from uh, overthinking and, and uh, overanalyzing. Uh, but you know, to make his performance even more impressive, he did it behind an ever rotating turnstile at offensive line. So it wasn't like he had this, this unit uh, building cohesion and momentum during the game. It was every series. It's a, it's a different group of five, uh, which of course, you know, is taking advantage of these opportunities early on to get film on all these guys. So that'll, that'll tighten up as, as the weeks go on. But also it's, it's a reflection of where that unit's at, that it's not a done deal. And we talked to Josh Henson on Wednesday after practice. O-line coach Josh Henson, and he basically said, yeah, I mean, guys didn't just come out and win those jobs, so that's why we're doing this. It's it's not necessarily an ideal thing. Um, guys didn't didn't claim the jobs outright. And he also said, he goes, you know, we, uh, we need to see guys stop throwing body blows and start landing knockouts up there. So he was not pleased overall with just what, what he's seen across the board and and uh, and that's that's assigning it to a high standard. I, you know, I, I don't think he's uh, you know totally disappointed with the group. I think they have a standard of where, where they want to be, and they're not there yet. So that would be maybe the most important storyline offensively is monitoring those offensive line jobs. You know, I mean, Gino Kinyona is starting over Jarrett Kingston. We thought when Kingston came in as a transfer from Washington State, man, this is one guy you can bank on. This was like the top-rated lineman in the Pac-12 last year, and he was playing left tackle then. And now he's a right guard. That spot's taken care of. And then surprise, surprise, Gino's starting game one. Freshman Alani Noah is starting at left guard. Uh, over Emmanuel Pregnon, the the transfer from Wyoming, who everyone was so high on. So it's good to have depth and good to have guys competing, but also maybe better to have uh, those guys lock up spots in the preseason and leave no doubt, which is not the case. Should we jump right into the Zachariah Branch talk now, Max? <laughs> let's do it. I have plenty to say, but let's start with you, because this was really your first time seeing Zachariah Branch in action and just give me your your full perspective on what you took in Saturday. 
Yeah, I'm not going to go as far as saying he's the next Reggie right now because I feel like we've uh, we've said that over the years. But man, he looks special, and at this rate, it would not surprise me if uh, he can be in a, a as a he can be a first round NFL explosive type talent like uh, like Reggie was. I think what jumped out to me right away is just his I'll call it confidence, but I think it's also like comfort comes into mind. I think so often when you see true freshmen get the ball even if they are five stars even if they are studs even if they are going to have great careers that first game there's still a sense of they're always trying to you know they're, they're, they're trying to do too much or they're, they're they're dancing a little bit or you know they're, they're 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 maybe not being patient for that big play opportunity for Zachariah Branchman you would have thought he, he he's played you know, a dozen games so far in his college career, two dozen games in his college career. The slow, the slow rolling the kickoff unit on his kickoff return touchdown. Like you just don't see that at a true freshman. The guy remind me of actually was uh, Adoree Jackson, who I played with, obviously a corner now in the NFL, but his true freshman year at USC, he had that package of uh, of plays in the in the offensive playbook to to get him the rock, and then obviously was an elite return man. But that just jumped out at me that ability to cut across the field and just have it be seamless and those little subtle hurdles he's doing you just don't see that um which i thought uh, which i thought was impressive and i think when i first heard about zachariah branch and i saw his stature and then him being the number one receiver in the country i always just kind of like oh that's that's interesting like usually the number one receiver in the country is a six two six three type guy with you know the length or the speed or, or you know or i guess both at, at that point but for a guy like Zachariah Branch to take that honor at his size, in hindsight, I should have known he was special like that. And you read you read that stuff over the offseason. But, um, I mean, he's he, he's elite. And I just think moving forward, I bet Lincoln Riley is having an absolute blast in the red zone install, in the weekly install of finding unique ways to get Zachariah Branch the ball. I referenced it in the open, but – uh, Branch had six catches, three of which were on the exact same play. It's a creative little RPO wrinkle that I don't believe we saw last year, but it's a very easy way to get the ball in Branch's hands. And that type of play call, um, when you have a slot receiver especially, it's different when you have uh, Drake London on the outside. I just think the uh, possibilities with Lincoln as your play call, like we're just we're just getting warmed up with Branch, who's uh, he can stay healthy, man. He can have a, get a huge career. As I wrote my column uh, after the game, you know, to me, there was never any doubt that he was going to be a star for USC. He was He's just too fast. He's too talented uh, across the board. I, he's the best route runner I've ever seen from a high school receiver. He has some of the best hands I've seen. Uh, for a guy his size, can, can win some tough contested catches. But just give him any crevice of space, any daylight, and I would pick him against any defensive back in the country every time because uh, he has such a deep bag of tricks. And so I said, you know, recruiting is obviously an unpredictable uh, game. There's times that there are people that you are convinced are sure things that, that aren't sure things eventually. I think we mentioned a couple of those guys on this podcast. But with Zachariah Branch, I just could not have had any more full certainty that he was a sure thing going to be a star, but even I would not have predicted it would be in his very first game. Uh, but he's just he's just that good. And it's clear that he was that good behind the scenes in practices that the coaches 
were so confident to give him that kind of spotlight in his first game, and he seized it. And I don't have any apprehension or cautiousness in projecting him that, that he's, a, he's a star. It wasn't just a, a great game. It wasn't a fluke. I know other guys have had great early moments, and it hasn't translated. No, I'm just telling you, he's, he's going to be one of the best players in college football as long as he's here. I don't know what volume of targets he's going to get in this offense because we're still kind of figuring that out. But I think uh, any number is is probably not, not enough. I would just keep feeding him and, and getting him those uh, those screens and, 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 and short passes for the room to operate because he is a special talent. And I've covered a lot of seven-on-seven events over the last few years. Just when you're covering recruiting, that's you kind of have to be on the seven-on-seven circuit because that's you know, everyone's in one place. You can... You can connect with guys and, and and find out what's going on. But Zachariah Branch's seven-on-seven games were the most appointment viewing those events could ever be. It was just always going to yeah. be a show. He, there was always a, a camera crew following him from, from somewhere. Um, he always delivered. He just put yeah. – so, anyways, I, I've been sure for a year and a half, two years, that this was going to be his destiny here. And to see it in game one was, was pretty exciting. I'm not sure there's much more you can really say about it. Yeah, one one little comment I think I'm interested to see, just the ripple effect of Zachariah Branch coming in with a huge impact. Two guys stick out to me, Mario Williams and Relique Brown. Yep. Like long, long-term, um, we've seen this many times at USC. It's when there's only one ball to go around, Mario Williams and Relique Brown are special players. And if they were on different teams, they'd be the best weapon on their team. But when you have a comparable skill set to a guy that, as things look right now, is better than you, more explosive than you. I mean, don't get me wrong. All these guys could very well and probably will find themselves on an NFL roster someday. But that'll be fascinating to to, to, to follow. I just, unfortunately, my gut feels like Relief Brown might be just the odd man out with this roster, which is crazy to say, given how excited we were about him a year ago. But again, we've seen that play out at USC in the past when, hey, you can be a special player, but when you're it feels like maybe a little bit more of a gadget guy surrounded or surrounded by a really deep roster. It's just difficult to carve out a role and uh, just interested to see how it plays out for both those guys. But hey, if Lincoln Rally said any message on Monday or Tuesday, it was, hey, don't overreact to just week one. It's a long season and you never know how things shake out. Yeah, I think a lot of people have had the same reaction about Relief Brown, especially who really just did not have a role in that game until late, uh, didn't get to do much. And. Also clear in practice this week that he wasn't, you know, top of the depth chart. We'll just leave it at that. Here again, this is another case, and this is a specific case where I'm not going to panic or bite off too much from week one because for a few factors. Uh, yes, there is some redundancy at the slot position where they have a lot of guys with the same skill set now, and it's maybe you can't use all those guys at the same time. But Relief Brown scored six touchdowns as a true freshman despite having a high ankle sprain that really undermined half of his season. And despite not having a true position at that time, because he hadn't made the full move the slot receiver yet. He was still, I guess you would call it an all-purpose back, uh, who wasn't really one of the main running backs, wasn't really a full-time receiver, and still managed to score six touchdowns because of his elite, elite speed and athleticism. So I am not going to count him out just yet. He's made this transition to the slot receiver full-time. Uh, from everything we heard in camp, 
there was more of a learning curve than maybe people, people assumed. Uh, he had never really been a full-time receiver. As For as good as he was as a recruit on the camp circuit, like he, he won every one-on-one battle versus DB I ever saw him take in camps. But he did not get many passing targets at modern day high school for some reason. He, he had like 14 catches, I think, his, his senior year. So he's never been fully in that role. He's learning the nuances of route running and, and the other complexities of the playbook. Uh, I'm not surprised that it's not all manifesting right away. But he's too good. He's too good, and he showed it last year. So we have both the pedigree, the obvious skill set, and proof of concept with him from last year that there's no way he's not a factor this entire season. So I am I am convinced that Relief Brown will be just fine and things will shake out with his opportunities. But it's a storyline worth monitoring, no doubt. Uh, a couple guys we haven't touched on, the running backs real fast. Austin Jones, here again, transfers come in. Everyone assumes that uh, that means they're passing over the guys on the roster. I think a lot of us thought Marshawn Lloyd was going to be the guy this year and may still be, but not at the expense of Austin Jones who uh, showed that he's going to have a major role in this offense. He was the first running back out, had 54 yards and two touchdowns on nine yards of carry. So very efficient outing for him. Marshawn Lloyd uh, had a great comment after practice Wednesday. He was talking about his slow start, and he, and he said, I was just, man, I, I was just playing too fast. But it was what, what really helped open my eyes was talking to Cliff Kingsbury at halftime. I said, I said Cliff, what would you see? And he goes, he told me I was playing too fast, and I, and I had to wait for my – my reads to open up this and that. But it's an interesting uh, takeaway from that is that at halftime, a player is struggling and his thought is to go to Cliff Kingsbury and say, hey, what'd you notice? So it's a little bit of an insight into that role that, that Kingsbury's playing on that, on this coaching staff. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, on the sideline, obviously, given Cliff's role, he's not able to wear a headset, which um, just NCAA role, I'm sure that yeah. kind of caught me as I, I – uh, I, I forgot about that. I guess. I guess. Uh, I guess I should say just because if you listen to stuff nationally, it's like, oh, he's going to be in the trenches on like play calling and you know providing insight and how how valuable it is. But he just looks like another guy kind of hanging hanging on the sideline. And I think I say it in that way because that's that's a that's a role that I think Cliff can bring to the table. If he, I mean he has that he's 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 seen it all right at, at the highest level where he can. He, he knows maybe when a player is pressing like that. And I think that's a really valuable resource to have because I know in my experience, usually the, you know, the offense analysts are guys that are position coaches waiting in the wings and they might not have that level of respect. And when you're in the, in the, uh, in the locker room at halftime, every position coach, man, they're all, they're all scrambling around, man. They're trying to find the next first down They're They're trying to do adjustments and all that. And if Cliff's able to kind of play that, uh, not therapist role because I don't want to say it that way, but just another added brain resource perspective. Um, that, that it, it's cool to hear, and I think it makes sense too. And good on Cliff for uh, you know embracing that role for a guy that hey, I don't I don't blame uh, Lloyd for for playing fast. He's probably juiced up trying to make an impact, and um, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all if he settles in in the weeks uh, weeks to come. Absolutely. Uh, before we hit on Nevada ever so quickly, uh, any more offensive thoughts, Max? <laughs> I am good. No, we're, uh, we're good to go. So, again, not a lot to break down with uh, the Wolf Pack. Just give you a quick overview, and then we'll make predictions. Nevada was 2-10 and last year, and they lost their last 10 games. So not a lot of momentum during the season for the Wolf Pack. 
They have a second-year coach, Ken Wilson, who USC fans may recognize was a former assistant at Oregon. Uh, they have several notable transfers. They got two from USC. They got John Jackson III is over there, has a chance to have a role in that, in that passing game. And offensive lineman Jason Rodriguez also transferred from USC in Nevada this offseason. But in terms of their skill personnel, you're going to recognize some names here. Their starting quarterback, as announced on Wednesday, is Brendan Lewis, the former Colorado quarterback who uh, really struggled in his two years trying to lock down that job with the Buffaloes. Uh, a guy who had some mobility but was a really inconsistent passer. Also played in a, in a very tough situation there with Colorado, which was just maybe under outmanned uh, at every spot on the field. So uh, he'll try and resurrect his career with Nevada. At running back, Sean Dollars, the former big recruit for Oregon, who never really got it going there with the Ducks, is now going to be one of the guys in the backfield for Nevada. Could be, uh, could be the most talented player on that team, possibly. They also got Ashton Hayes, running back transfer from Cal. So they, they pulled a lot of uh, a lot of power five guys looking for restarts. It's basically kind of the theme of their offense. Uh, at receiver, I already mentioned John Jackson III. They also got Issa Crocker from Oregon. So some names you may know, but a team, like I said, went 2-10 and ten last year. Second-year coaching staff. Uh, this is probably not going to be the uh, the finding game of their season. I would expect that USC handles business. And with that, we will do predictions. Max, what is your score for Saturday? Score for Saturday. I'll go, uh, I'll go 56 to... 56 to 13. I think this is a get right game for the defense, but you mentioned some of the playmakers that Nevada has. I think they get, you know, one big play, maybe to uh, break a long touchdown, keep USC fans pissed about the defense <laughs> in some capacity. Um, but yeah, and so yeah, I'll go, I'll go that. Um, and then a couple quick notes. I called a couple games of Brandon Lewis's, so much of him, or Brandon Lewis, so much of him is confidence at this point. I think he got. Pulled through the ringer a little bit at Colorado. Um, he has the talent at times, not to Caleb Williams level, of course, but uh, if maybe this new change of scenery gives him some confidence, maybe there's some plays there. And then you mentioned uh, Sean Dollars. I uh, I thought he was really good at Oregon. I was surprised, or not really good. I thought he showed flashes of being really good at Oregon. But I was surprised when he went to Nevada. I thought he was a, the type of guy that could have landed at another Power 5 school. So keep your eye on him. He's explosive in the backfield, and if – Speaking of kind of really brown, he's got a little bit of that flavor. If they uh, find a way to get the ball in his hands a few times, maybe he's uh, got an explosive player too in him this Saturday. Good stuff. Uh, I am almost identical to your score. Uh, I am fifty-eight to fourteen, so we're just a few points there off go. there. But uh, certainly would be surprised if this is anything but a blowout. Uh, I, whatever it is, we'll talk about it next week with Max. Great to have you back on the show. It was fun. Thanks, Ryan. That was the podcast for this week. Great to get back with Max, get back in the swing of things, back in the routine. I didn't ask him for his favorite Lincoln Riley play call this week, like we did all last season, because it was kind of a, I don't know that they're really showing much in these first couple of games, but that will definitely be a staple of the shows moving forward this year. Looking forward to being back in the Coliseum. Uh, such a compelling team for so many reasons, many of which we touched on, but many more that we didn't even get to in this first show. So we'll have plenty to talk about fresh next week. 
We'll see if Zachariah Branch can continue his uh, incredible start to his collegiate career. We will see what kind of wild and special things Caleb Williams does this week, as he does every week. We will see the, the defense as allayed, assuaged any concerns like I think it might this week, but I don't want to be too far out on that limb. So I'll just uh, stay right in the middle where I've been, nice and neutral, until I really have a sense for which way that thing is going. With that, we'll see you next week.